Hello, everyone. Dave Sattler here, one of the pastors in North Shore Alliance Church, and thank you for joining us in person, and thank you to those who are joining us today online. It's great to be together. Today, we continue in the long-practiced Christian tradition of Advent, anticipating the coming of our Savior, Jesus. My wife, Joanne, still commemorates Advent with our grown children, putting out special chocolates each morning in the lead up to Christmas, and there's still much anticipation in my house. What's going to be there this morning? Lindor, Twix, Purdy's, Kinder, and the odd day I even get one of them. Doesn't chocolate just whet your appetite for Jesus? Some of you can't even concentrate right now. Luke chapter 2, 9 to 12, captures a memorable night. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And an angel of the Lord appeared to a group of terrified shepherds. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Good news. In life, in our world, good news is often, especially these days, hard to come by. Great joy. Seems joy is scarce, even elusive these days. For all people? Really? For you and for me, even? He is the Messiah the long-anticipated Christ. You will find a baby? What? Out of the majesty and expanse of the heavens he made, the Lord God Almighty appears as an infant. The big idea for today, the good news is this. God loves humanity in and through his creation. So much so, the God of the universe, the one above and behind it all, steps down and becomes part of his own creation. And we will explore the question today, just what sort of being is this who gets so intimately involved, who becomes, for humanity, our Savior? And don't we all need saving? Today we look at Psalm 8, a Psalm of David. From the Hebrew hymn book, it's a vintage song about God's greatness and humanity's worth. And we're going to read it together here now. Psalm 8, it's just nine verses. Perhaps you've memorized some of it. Uh, I say Psalm 1, Psalm 8, verse 1 to 9, every morning. It's the first one of the first things I say. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, the son of man that you care for him? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
Let's pause and have a word of prayer together. God, we thank you for your words written by the psalmist David thousands of years ago. And they're so important and even poignant for us today. God, I ask now that you would come and move me out of the way and come and speak to us by your spirit. God, would you apply the truth of your word to each person here today? God, some of us need comfort. Some of us need challenge. Some of us need both. And so we invite you, Spirit of God, to come and speak now. We're hungry to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 8 has a repeated verse. Did you catch it? The first and the last read the same. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. With this line, the psalmist moves from big to small. Lord, big, our Lord, small. On the macro level, God is indeed the Lord over the entire universe. And at the micro level, God is also our Lord, relational, personable, and accessible to you and to me. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Majestic, impressive, dignified, magnificent, grand in all the earth. Back to big again, but not so fast. We mustn't miss the subtle piece the psalmist slips in here. Your name. The name of God is majestic in all the earth, not because God needs to make a name for himself, not that God needs to somehow put his name in lights, or he must show off his power, or he's somehow in need of some sort of ego rub. That is not why God's name is majestic. God's name is majestic, big, and it permeates the earth and heaven because God desires to be known in personal relationship by every human being. God is majestic, big, because he wants to be known personal relationship with you and me in a small way. This personableness of God, it's in his very nature. One commentator says this is not the hidden God, but the God who displays himself to be seen in his creation, the God who wills to be known in his majesty by human beings and creation alike. The God of the Christian story is not some ivory palace prince insulated from his kingdom and absent from the people. God is not distant, as some might think. He's not sinister. He's not too up, up to no good chicanery. God doesn't play his cards close to his chest. No. He loves to self-reveal. God delights in making himself and his will known to his creation. While he is above all things, God is also in creation, with us, and accessible to all humanity. The incarnation is such good news precisely because Jesus becomes Emmanuel, God with us. Now, one can imagine how this psalm grew from David's vision of the night skies during his time and years tending flocks as a shepherd. If you've ever camped away from the city on a clear night, you can relate to the feeling of being dwarfed by the immensity of the night sky. When I stand before ocean vast or mountain grand, I'm confronted by God's absolute magnificence. In Psalm 8, David repeats this sequence from big to small and back to big over and over again. 
When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, it's as if this whole unfathomable creation was spun off the tips of God's fingers without him even breaking a sweat. And it's vital in our lives that we balance these two perspectives. God's bigness, God's glory above the heavens, and God's smallness, his intimate and personal care for humanity. If in our minds God is too big, we don't press into relationship with him and we keep him at a fearful distance. If in our heads God is too small, we won't garner him the respect he deserves or the authority that he is due in our lives. It's important that we balance these two perspectives. God even elicits praises from children and infants. And Jesus apparently loved the Psalms. He probably learned them in Sabbath school when he was a kid. And he quotes the Psalms often. And Jesus references Psalm 8 in Matthew chapter 21 when he clears out the temple just before he's about to go to the cross. I'll read it for us here. Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, Jesus said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to, came to him at the temple and Jesus healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things Jesus did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Well, Jesus is angry here because some religious leaders were manipulating the temple system to fleece worshipers for personal profit. In the temple, the, the priests and the teachers object to Jesus' healing of the sick, and they're put off when they hear the children worshiping loudly. Do you hear that annoying childish dribble, Jesus? They cry out, and then Jesus reprimands them, quoting Psalm 8, verse 2. From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth praise. These usurping religious leaders are here usurped by children. And this is how God works. He flips the power structures of our world upside down. Our psalm today presents a powerful paradox. And you know the problem with a paradox. Like, where do I park my boat? This is a paradox. Where do I park my boat? There's a powerful paradox here. On one hand, in comparison to God, his ways and his works, humanity is absolutely insignificant. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, the psalmist said. Yet on the other hand, this same God has endowed men and women with dominion over his creation. It says here in verse 6, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. By God's incredible grace, he gives humans special jobs as rulers over his creation. And this is part of the working out of Genesis chapter 1, which is the creation narrative. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, 
in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground and even the ones in Lynn Valley. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Image bearing was a common idea in the ancient world. Because they could not be in more than one place at a time, sovereigns would have their faces etched in coins and they would have their busts sculpted into stone. And kings and emperors would then have their likenesses distributed throughout their vast territories in an attempt to propagate their image and enhance their influence and power. It's like the old social media. This is the language of Genesis 1 and Psalm 8, except in place of graven images, we have us, humans, God's creation as bearers of his likeness. God is omnipresent, yet still the God of the Christian story has made humanity his image bearers. And we get to represent him here on earth. What a responsibility. What a privilege and a high calling. It's, it's truly remarkable, and it's further reason for the psalmist and us to worship. Well, you can imagine now it's time to land the plane on a few application points. I have three for us this morning, and the first is this. It's on God's majesty. Big or small, God is in it all. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Often God moves in ways that at the time seem or feel very small. And the Bible offers an example of this with the prophet Elijah, who finds himself in a very difficult situation. He's a prophet to the nation of Israel, and the Israelites have rejected God. They've torn down their altars, and they've put many of their prophets to death, and now they want to kill Elijah too, and so he escapes to a cave in the wilderness. In verse 19, chapter 19, verses 11 to 13 of 1 Kings says this, The Lord said to Elijah, Go and stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? In the midst of an extremely tense situation, God rather surprisingly communicates his presence to Elijah through a gentle whisper. Often moments that seem insignificant at the time when we look back, we see how those events shape our lives in big and impactful ways. And this is God at work too. Not that it's wrong to pray big prayers, to ask God to move mountains and such. We are always invited to pray big, but not at the expense of asking God to guide the little things. Not at the expense of overlooking his presence in the everyday simple decisions of our lives. Think of times in my life that on the surface seemed rather small, but God was clearly present, present in them. That day, 35 years ago, 
in the cafeteria at Bible college when I struck up a conversation with a girl who would later become my wife. Super scary, but somehow God gave me the courage. That thin call to leave Surrey and come to pastor at North Shore Alliance Church one morning while reading Hebrews chapter 11, that sense in my gut when everything else inside of me said, no way, but God quietly whispered, yes, go. If we only ask God for the big stuff, God, heal me now. God, fix this situation. God, write your wisdom for me in the clouds. God, fix this. God, do that. We may miss God's majesty in the small things, his loving, whispering presence in our lives, his call to simple one foot in front of the other obedience. God works in those ways too, and we are encouraged to have an ear for even the small and gentle whispers of God in our lives. The second application point is this. It's on humanity's purpose. I will be happy when my life most reflects God's glory. Humanity is the only creation that God makes in his own image. And God assures the worth of humanity at the top of his creation, making us rulers over the works of his hands. The Christian story suggests something grand about the human experience. Every life matters. Every person has eternal purpose. Maybe you find yourself in church today or watching online and you're battling feelings of insignificance. Lately, I've witnessed a certain fog settling over our world. Perhaps due to factors like rising inflation, climate change, mass social media, the effects of a global pandemic, hints of despair and hopelessness about the future seem to be hanging in the air these days more than ever. Perhaps you are struggling with direction in your life. Maybe you're lacking motivation or purpose. Perhaps you're rocked with anxiety. Maybe you're questioning your own self-worth. Christianity declares the dignity and worth of every human. Our lives are not random. When culture presses you to look inside yourself for solutions, the Christian story says our identity is not self-determined. Our significance, our purpose, our life direction does not come from inside. It comes instead from our beautiful creator who loves us, who identifies with us, and has a vital life purpose set out for each of us. I don't know about you, but I suck up a lot of heart and brain energy working through scenarios. I will be happy when... I will be happy when I have that thing I've been hoping and saving for. I will be happy when my accomplishments get me further up the ladder, or at least further than that guy over there. I'll be happy when I find the perfect partner. I'll be happy when I go on that next adventure. I'll be happy when I discover who I really am and do the real me really well. I will be happy when... Problem is, life is not designed primarily for what we want or what our desires are. Our desires and wants can't always be trusted. 
Human beings are the visual and visible representation of the image and likeness of the invisible king. And we are invited into something special, to participate in God's mission in loving care and stewardship for all he has made. How we talk, how we act, how we treat God's creation, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we watch, how we dress, how we work, how we party, how we treat other people really matter. Life, work, recreation, relationships that put God first are best for us. We can only be truly happy when our lives most reflect God's glory. This is what we've been made for. Third and final application for today is this. It's on God's grace. We are invited to encounter the God who comes and visits us. O Lord, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, the son of man that you care for him? Entirely undeserved and unexpected, God's amazing grace poured out on humanity through Jesus is history's game changer. Because of his amazing grace, God comes down and visits us. God is not limited to human form, but God humbles himself in the form of God the Son, Jesus, so that we may know him as fully as humanly possible. To span that chasm between holy God and his broken creation, Jesus comes. And Jesus is God's recreation plan for us. He's setting all that happens in Genesis back to write through Jesus, and he's offering recreation to us and to all the world. These have been some rough years for our world, for North Shore Alliance Church, for people of faith. Coming out of COVID, I believe many of us are in need of a spiritual renewal, a recreation that only Jesus can bring. This is what is exactly offered to us through deep relationship that we're invited into through encounter with Jesus. Perhaps you've been recently losing interest in your faith or loved ones have turned against you because of it. Or maybe you've become hardened, cynical about God and his church. Christians and churches have done so much bad in this world, I think I'm almost out. Or perhaps something big and painful has happened to you and you're having serious doubts and you want to keep your distance. You feel far from God. Here's the point. There is no issue or problem too big for God to handle. There is no relational chasm that God cannot span. The God of the Christian story is not merely a force or a set of rules or a deity to be appeased. He's a living, dying, rising again Savior, full of grace and mercy for you. And Jesus longs for you to reach out to him. For it's when we encounter the God of grace, when we engage in deep relationship with Jesus, then that he grows within us a genuine faith that sustains when hard times hit our lives, and they will. I love how God usurps the power structures of the Roman world <laughs> by coming as a baby. And on a Bethlehem night, when God lights up the skies to rock their evening, a group of lowly shepherds working the midnight shift 
are invited to be the Christ child's first visitors. Luke 2, 16 to 20 tells a story. So the shepherds hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the news concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds' lives are transformed by their encounter with Jesus. It's interesting how the term son of man from Psalm 8 is the one of the names that Jesus often uses for himself in the New Testament. In Mark 10, 45, it says, for even the son of man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus chooses to intimately identify with the fragile weakness of human beings, and he becomes a suffering servant in order to save us. Jesus is fully human, so he can represent us and all humanity on the cross. And Jesus is fully God, so that he can be the perfect sacrifice to pay for all the sins of humanity on the cross. Hebrews 2 goes on and says this, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. He's saying this of human beings. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death death for everyone. Written hundreds of years after Psalm 8, these verses nuance Psalm 8 and acknowledge that even with humans ruling the world, all is not well. Boy, do we know that. Instead, the writer of Hebrews invites us to see Jesus and his death as God's beautiful gift of grace to rescue humanity. We cannot rescue ourselves. Jesus suffers through death and comes out the other side, and he makes the way for salvation and for eternal life for all who put their trust in him. This is good news. Amen. I'd like to invite now the worship team and communion service to come and take their places. If you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, you are invited to participate in communion today. In a moment, you can come forward, or in the balcony, you can go to the back. And I want to encourage you to please come forward and hold your hands out like this, and the server will put a piece of bread into your hands. Then you're to take the piece of bread, and you're to dip it into the cup, not too far. No fingers in there, just a light dip. And then you can eat the bread with the dipped juice. The person who offers you the bread will say, this is the body of Christ given for you. And the person who offers you the juice will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. If you need gluten-free options, they will be 
here. You can come down up if you're in the balcony. You can come down here for the gluten-free options. And I also want to let you know that immediately following communion, during the songs, if there's something on your heart that you would like prayer for, our team members will be available. George and Allie will be right over here by the St. George's exit. Do you want to just give a little wave, George and Allie? They would love to pray for you during the songs. And we'll also have Kathy and Brenda. Kathy's here. She's going to run up to the balcony. And Brenda's already there. They'll be by the big window over there in the balcony. If you'd like prayer in the balcony, Kathy and Brenda will be there during the songs after communion. In a few moments, we're going to sing the song King of Kings. And I love the opening lyric. In the darkness, we were waiting without hope and without light. Till from heaven, Jesus, you came running. There was mercy in your eyes. In the mercy and grace of God, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of Man lovingly gave his life as a ransom for us. This is what we celebrate in communion. Please come now and we will partake together.